0: This is Comic Shannigan's episode 514, a conversation with Jordan D. White. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 514. It's our conversation with Jordan D. White. Jordan is a editor at Marvel Comics, currently overseeing the Star Wars and Deadpool books. Uh, he's been with Marvel just over 10 years now. And uh, we recently sat down to uh, talk his time at Marvel, working on the Star Wars and Deadpool books. Uh, a lot of fun stuff in this conversation, a lot of interesting insights. Uh, Jordan was a great interview to have, and I'm really excited for everyone to uh, finally get a chance to listen to it. Uh, congratulations to uh, Jordan as well, as he... Uh, just recently had his, uh, his, uh, his first baby was born, uh, I think just this past week. So uh, congratulations to Jordan. And uh, this was recorded uh, prior to that, prior to uh, Sleepless Nights and all that fun stuff that goes with uh, fatherhood. Uh, but uh, let's jump right into the conversation with Jordan D. White. Jordan, welcome to the Comic Shantigans podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Um, so the first thing I want to say is uh, congratulations on 10 years with, uh, with Marvel.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: It's been uh, you, it's
1: been a good time.
0: I saw you had your uh, your awesome uh, thing from Disney. Uh, I guess wishing you ten magical years, right?
1: Yep. Uh, technically, I we weren't with Disney the entire time, but they count True. since I started at Marvel, even though uh, uh, Marvel joined up with Disney partway through. So still,
0: so. I was going to say, so they actually, so they retroactively counted as part of the Disney family. Yep, yep. That's pretty nice. So, how did you become part of this 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 big family?
1: Um. Well. I, um, I I've always loved comics for basically my entire life, and um, I've always wanted to work in comics in some capacity. And uh, before I moved to New York City, I was uh, I was at a, a ra- I was at a college uh, up in Binghamton, New York, and they had a radio station called WHRW uh, ninety point five FM, and It's a free-format radio station, and so when I joined up with the radio station uh, and I got cleared as a DJ, I was trained and and cleared as a DJ there, I didn't want to do a – just your average uh, college radio uh, show. They had a radio theater department, uh, although it wasn't – super prominent, like there weren't, it was mostly people just goofing around and like doing, doing comedy bits and stuff, which is terrific. But I wanted to do like a full on radio show. And so, um, because I, because what I wanted to do most of all was be telling stories, you know, in, in whatever format I could. And since I had this, uh, this platform, I said, I'm going to use this to tell stories. And so I started writing these radio shows and producing them. And, um, after a little bit, I. I got other people writing them with me, and I was so I was like over. I, I created the shows, and then I would I would write the beginnings of them. But then other people would come on and write other episodes, and I would uh, wrangle a whole bunch of people to act in them, and I would edit them myself, and I would then uh, I would broadcast them, obviously. And I did that for a couple of years, maybe two or three years. It must have been three years at least, um, and uh, a bunch of like seasons of a bunch of shows, and it was so much fun, and it was. To me, it was basically a thing I was doing because I couldn't really make comics. I mean, I was making comics at the same time. I was drawing my own comics, but I'm not that great of an artist. Uh, so this was this was like my version of that. In fact, one of them was about superheroes uh, because I, I always loved superhero comics, especially Marvel. So when it became time for uh, my wife and I to move out of that town, and my wife was going to be going to medical school, and she said, where – do you want me to go to school? And I said, well, I mean, ideally we would go to New York so I could work in comics.
2: <laughs>
1: and she said, all right. And she applied to school in New York city. And I, as soon as we started moving, I started looking on the Marvel's, uh, on, I think back then they Marvel was using monster.com. Although now they use the Disney job site. And, um, I, I looked for an opening and there was an assistant editor opening at that exact time. And, uh, I went out for it, and a few months later, I was working at Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I, I, uh, I don't know this 100% for certain, but I believe it's the skills that I had from the radio show that really made me an attractive candidate. Because, again, I was working with a bunch of people on a collaborative project that had to be done on a deadline uh, in an entertainment medium in storytelling. So that's pretty much all of the skills that I, I use. Uh in, in, in my job, especially as an assistant editor, but definitely as I moved up to being uh, an editor, which I am now.
0: Wow. Now, when you first kind of had that, the, the initial interviews, who who was interviewing at the time for that type of position?
1: That was Mark Panicia that uh, that hired me. Uh, I was assisting him in the, well, I don't know, I, I guess you'd call it the Hulk office, although there, we, there was a kind of a hodgepodge of books that he worked on. I, I didn't work on Hulk when I first started. Um, but I did work with him. And uh, I, I actually got hired for a position. Um, I don't know how detailed a, a history of Marvel publishing in the last 10 to 12 years you have, but uh, there was a thing called the Dable Brothers books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And at, at a certain point, Dable Brothers and Marvel got into some sort of deal. And I don't know the details of what happened or how or why, but. All of the books that the Dale brothers were producing ended up shifting over to being Marvel produced, and so Mark was editing those. And it was a bunch more books that he was working on all of a sudden. So I, when I started out, I was working on a bunch of those. I, I worked on uh, the Hedge Knight Part Two or Volume Two. I worked on uh, Anita Blake for a little while there. Oh yeah. I worked on uh, you know a bunch of things like that. And, uh, and the, well, then eventually I, I edited all the uh, the Ender's Game adaptations, which was a lot of fun.
0: That's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: but 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 I also did work on some Marvel stuff when I started as well, like Exiles, and, and shortly after I started, I eventually was working on uh, Hercules with him, with Mark. Uh, I was with Mark for a while, and then eventually I shifted over to the X-Men office, was working with Nick Lowe, and then from there, over to be in my own office.
0: <laughs> now, I do want to thank you for uh, finally settling something for me. I never knew how to pronounce Mark's last name. Ah, oh, Panicia, yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. Although a lot of us just call him Panic. <laughs> okay, well that 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 seems applicable too. Now, as you were kind of navigating as an assistant editor, um how like how did you like that? Like how did you kind of work like working in that world and how did you kind of take to it? Because some people they excel, obviously like you, you you move up and some people kind of end up leaving. So what was it about it that kind of kept you on the editorial staff and kept you interested?
1: Well, the thing that kept me going obviously always is the love of comics and the love of the medium and and the love of the collaboration. I mean, uh, like any uh, like any business, there's a lot of you know internal business politics, which I don't enjoy. I mean, who does really? Um, Sick people. <laughs> and there's you know market pressures, and there's all sorts of there's all sorts of things that are the less pleasant part of the job. But what always keeps me going is that I'm telling stories that I care about. Uh, and that I get invested in i 'm working with a lot of people, both creators and other editors who I really like and who i 'm happy to be working with and um, and that at the end of the week i 'm sending a comic book to press that didn't exist uh, without me helping it get through the process and uh, hopefully if i 've done my job well it's better than it would have been without me. <laughs>
0: Now, what, um, when when you did transition from being assistant editor to an editor, was it kind of bittersweet because you're kind of leaving, you know, working as part of that family of books and kind of graduating to kind of being the head of your own family?
1: Um, no, because it happens gradually. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, when I should say, when I moved from working with Mark to working with Nick, that was... Very sudden, but I was still an assistant editor in both positions when I was with the X office at first. So that was, that was very sudden, like, you know, all, you're working along and then, you know, sometimes we just need to have, for various reasons, we'll have to have a staff changes of people swapping around in offices or, or books moving offices. And in this case, it was um, – I was working with Mark and Jake Thomas was working as an assistant in the X office and they literally swapped us. Um and so that was very sudden, and, and and it is very bittersweet because you're like, oh, you know, I like I said, I care about these books. You know, I'm at the time, what was I working on? I was assisting Mark on at that point. I was assisting on Hulk, uh, or rather, Incredible Hulk. Uh, I think both actually. Now that I think about it,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jeff Parker's Hulk book, which was the the Red Hulk, oh, yeah. and uh, Greg Pak was writing Incredible Hulk, which at that point was was Banner again. Um, and yeah, and it was like these are books that I'm enjoying. I, I don't want to leave them, but you know, you kind of have to. And it was like, well, you're going to be going on to the X Men books, and there's a bunch of good stuff happening there. It was just before Schism, which I was very excited about. Um, and Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X Men came after that, which I was also very excited about. So it, it was a it was a nice uh, it was a nice thing. As far as moving to actual being an editor, that that happens very gradually. Um, a lot of our assistant editors, once they've been there for a couple of years, start editing. A book or two of their own. So, when I shifted to the X office, actually, um, like I said, I was already editing uh, the Ender's Game books uh, and all the tie-ins to that. I was already editing. I was think I was doing a. I was doing at the time during the switch. I was doing an Ant Man and Wasp miniseries by Tim Seeley.
2: Oh yeah. I remember that. Uh, which
1: was tremendous fun. It was, uh, when, that was back when, when Hank Pym was the wasp.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Eric O'Grady was the, was Ant-Man. A uh, very fun series. Uh, and, but when I moved to the X office is when they, they gave me um, Deadpool to edit. So that's when I first started working on Deadpool. And so, so I was still an assistant editor, but on, on Deadpool, I was the editor. Uh, and over time, That just increases. So more and more of the books I'm working on are books that I'm editing, and fewer and fewer of them are ones I'm assisting on. Mm -hmm. At some point in there, I became an associate editor, and then uh, around the time that I started editing the entire Star Wars line of books, uh, in addition to the Deadpool line of books, (laughs) was when I was uh, made a full editor on my own.
0: Now, what was that like when, I mean, Deadpool goes from being a book to being like a franchise and you're kind of head of this franchise, which is obviously a, a pretty big deal these days, especially with the success of the movie. And it's such a, a prominent part of Marvel's publishing. What is it like to kind of suddenly have this this whole array of Deadpool satellite books? And it's... it's
1: uh it's it's I don't want to say dizzying, but it's definitely uh like, oh my goodness, like look what's happening. uh you know, when I started on Deadpool again, it was Dan Way's Deadpool, and for most of my time on that run with Dan, basically since the beginning we've been doing since i or since the beginning of my time on Deadpool, we've been doing eighteen issues or more of the main Deadpool series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always been a pretty hectic schedule on the main book, but when I was working with Dan, I don't think. I did any side miniseries at the same time. I might be mistaken. Um, and if we did, you know what, now that I think about it, I think the first of Cullen Bunn's miniseries, I think the first Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, that might have come out right at the very end of Dan Way's run.
0: I think you're right. Just,
1: just before uh, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn started on it. it. And that was the first one that sort of became, oh, you know what? We should have a Deadpool miniseries too Because we can come up with these crazy Deadpool ideas <laughs> That don't necessarily fit into the main book's continuity And we can do them off to the side uh, And those have been so much fun to do as well So we did the, we did the Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe Along with its sequels The Deadpool Illustrated, Deadpool Kills Deadpool We did, oh geez, so many Deadpool, Secret Secret Wars, Night of the Living yep. Deadpool Return <laughs> of the Living Deadpool Deadpool vs. Carnage, Deadpool vs. Thanos Deadpool vs. Punisher <laughs> Deadpool vs. Gambit so many, so many, uh, Deadpool's Art of War, um, and uh, and yeah, none of them would quite have have fit into the main book, but uh, as their own things, I think they've all been so much fun to work on, uh, and so yeah, that can be crazy, and I, I sometimes I have worried, you know, are we getting is there too much Deadpool stuff, and I think. You know, maybe sometimes we have done too much general stuff, but <laughs> hopefully people
0: aren't sick of him yet. Well, I guess, as you said, I mean, a lot of those miniseries were the the crazy, wacky ideas that wouldn't have fit into the regular book. So it doesn't necessarily feel like overexposure to the same degree because you're doing something different or that you just couldn't do in the regular book. So it at least has a unique identity.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Now, when um, when you had the, the, the Mercs for Money and that kind of exploded and it had its own, like every single Merc kind of had their own book. What was that like, that process, and how did you kind of develop those and like, were you then kind of looking for creative teams that could work on those characters, or how did those books kind of spin out and did it happen more or less organically, or how did that happen?
1: Um, yeah. I, so, okay, so this is a complicated time, and I, I mean, I'm going to have to, I'll start, let me start by admitting, that I am under no delusions. Like, unfortunately, those books didn't really hit. You know, none of them really took. I'm very proud of all three of those books that we put out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about uh, Fool Killer. We're talking yeah. about Slapstick, and we're talking about Solo. I'm very proud of all of them. I think they're all they all were very good, um, but unfortunately, none of them took off. Yeah, when when the idea came out of, we'll bring back Deadpool and we'll have him have like a crew of other mercenaries who go out as Deadpool and then. And then we'll see, you know. Then we'll bring them out as their their actual selves, and you know. I thought that was such a fun story idea, and I think it was a lot of fun in the main book. When it came time, it was it was during another um, uh, uh, like a launch window where we were launching a bunch of new titles, and the idea came up of well, can we can we launch any of these guys in a title? And I think in retrospect, it probably would have been better to just do one of them. Or perhaps, or perhaps, launch uh, the whole team as a team without Deadpool off on their own, you know that sort of thing. But uh, but you know we were feeling <laughs> overconfident, I guess. You know, <laughs> and we said let's let's go for this. You know, they're they're going to be three very different books, and I will again, I'll stand behind that. They were very different books. Um, the 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 one that Jerry gravitated towards most, Jerry Duggan, who had been writing Deadpool at the time was solo. And so we said, okay, um, you've got a lot of books, but you can co-write it with Jeff Thorne, uh, who is a friend of his. And, uh, and that, that was him kind of trying to do what well, we're going to do something in the, the humorous Deadpool vein, but with a, with a more action espionage bent than the Deadpool book has, you know, Deadpool tends to be a little bit more, well, I, I mean, it's definitely action-y, but not not, not spy-y, you know? Mm-hmm. So we went, we'll give that more of a spy bent and, and, and go that way. Um, with Foolkiller, uh, we had hit upon the idea during his time in the Mercs for Money that he had he was going to go to school to become a psychologist. <laughs> psychiatrist, I mean. Uh, <laughs> no, psycho- no, psychologist, psychologist. Yeah, he didn't have a medical degree. Uh, and we loved this idea that he would be a therapist trying to rehabilitate villains
2: <laughs>
1: and if they didn't rehabilitate, he would kill them <laughs> we just thought that was the best idea. Um, I had worked with Max Bemis, uh, who is also the lead singer of the band Say Anything I had worked with him on a couple of uh, uh, things Once, uh, one was a very short story that he did his first work with Marvel, but then he also did a miniseries with me called uh, Worst X-Men Ever that's right, um, yeah. and he—he's so—he's so twisted. Like he's such a twisted guy. <laughs> I mean, his stories—not—not not as a human being, obviously. Um, his stories, and we knew he would absolutely get what we were doing with what we were going for with Full Killer. And I know he's interested in psychological stuff. Uh, if you've—if you've—if you're not of the faint of heart, and uh, you like. Really messed up comics Like check out his run on Crossed It was really messed up <laughs> uh, And it had some therapy elements in it And we were like yeah he'll really get this And he absolutely got it He jumped at the opportunity And that book is so Unique And so dark And so again darkly funny Like like you know Like a, like a dark funny Garth Ennis book mm-hmm. um, I, So I really liked the way that one turned out and then the last one was, was Slapstick, <laughs> who, again, we, we pitched darker than, than the original run of Slapstick. The original run of Slapstick is very innocent and very fun-loving. <laughs> and we were like, well, let's go a little, <laughs> a little more wrong. Um, a lot of the story focuses on the fact that he doesn't have a penis anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we were doing it as an infinite comic. Uh, and so the creative teams on that, uh, I knew I wanted to bring Riley Brown in because Riley Brown is the best at the Infinite Comics we were doing. Oh, yeah. um, Infinite Comics, if you don't know, are they were digital comics that had this like unique storytelling element where it was built to kind of utilize the uh, the comicsology um, guided view, guided view, but instead of like moving around a page it just goes from page to page so sometimes you know you'll click it and it looks like a character has walked across a room you know Mm -hmm. because the room is still the same but the character has moved and things like that that's just one example but we did way cooler things (laughs) than that absolutely Uh, we we had done a really successful one uh called deadpool the gauntlet and riley drew that and he is so good at thinking in that method so i said let's bring him in and he co-wrote it and drew the layouts for it with, uh, and, and co-wrote it with Fred Van Lente Who is, uh, an, again, another writer i had been working with on and off I would worked with first back on Hercules A zillion years ago mm-hmm. And uh, I think Fred <laughs> Described it as a book uh, a, a comedy Superhero book for people who think Deadpool's too highbrow <laughs> 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 And I think that was pretty good That was a pretty accurate description It ended up being, again, a really funny story About him trying to get his his manhood back and uh, accidentally being responsible for turning lots of other people into cartoons that didn't deserve it, and there ended up being a lot of fun cartoon, you know, parodies or, or satires, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, in that. That was so much fun. Again, not, and so on all three of these books, none of them sold incredibly well, unfortunately. But I think all all three of them are are books that I think. I feel like we're creatively successful, and I I stand behind them. I, I think they were good stuff.
2: Well,
0: that's a mark of a good editor. You stand behind your books, right? Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, they uh-huh. shouldn't have existed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully, you won't find the ones I don't stand behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to go back to Deadpool for a second. Um, sure. When uh, when Way left the book, and you guys were readying kind of a new launch, what was the process like of finding the new team to, to take on the character as the character was, again, starting to get more of... Um, of a presence and more of a you know it was starting to get more ink basically like it was really starting to have more of a a presence in the in the marvel publishing what was it like to kind of find out that new creative team sure
1: sure Uh, well casting a book is probably the most important job of an editor um because if you can get the right casting on a book you almost don't have to do any more work.
2: <laughs>
1: if you could get a, the perfect combination of writer and artist and, and every level of the creative team, everything just works perfectly and a book comes out that is so great. I mean, obviously, you do your best if you, if you, if you, if you need to guide it along the way. Now, that's rare that everything is perfect, but casting is, is important for that reason because that's the, the opportunity you have to, to get as close to that as you can. Um, so we always think... A lot about it. We'll, we'll we'll think about who's available and what car- what writers and artists would be good for a book. And a lot of it is, I think Tom Brevoort likes to say that it's not it's not science so much as it's alchemy. You know, you're 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 trying to imagine what would happen if I added this element to that element, and what will come out. And it's not, you know, it's not going to follow the perfect recipe. It, it, it's it's something that you're going to be surprised by. Um, in the case of Brian and Jerry, uh, they had pitched a. They they met Axel at uh, Axel Alonso, the editor in chief, at a San Diego Comic Con one year, and they had pitched us a miniseries, which uh, we did not do. We at one point we were going to do it. We were like it was a Deadpool mini, and I wonder if I. I'm, I mean, I'm allowed to say what I want. I wonder if I should say what it was. I guess I will because we didn't do it and we don't have any plans to do it it was a kind of like a lone wolf and cub series with deadpool where Hmm. he gets accidentally stuck with a baby and uh you know hijinks ensue (laughs) and it was a really fun sounding book and we were we were thinking about doing it at one point and then for whatever reason it fell through so then when the time came to bring on a new writing team we remembered it wasn't that long ago that, that this had happened we remembered that and went oh those guys came up with something really good. Let's see if they want to... I think I think when we first approached them, we might have even said, let's see if they want to do that story oh. and and do the comic. And, uh, you know, Jerry has always been a, a, a fountain of ideas. So he, him, he and Brian came back to us with a bunch of other ideas and we were like, oh, these are good too. And in fact, I think we ended up combining a couple of them. Because, yeah, yeah, now that I think about it, two of them we used because one of them was the dead president's idea, which is the the presidents have all been, all the dead presidents have been (laughs) resurrected and Deadpool has to kill them all again, which we did as the first arc. And one of the other ideas was, uh, the Deadpool has a, a, a female shield agent stuck in his head with him Hmm. and they had pitched that as an opening arc. And we ended up saying like, we like both of these, but let's, let's do them both, but let's, you know, let's use one to get to the other. And And it was like, oh, absolutely. And, and, uh, that's that's exactly what we did. <laughs> At one point, we were talking about the dead presidents as like, should this be like the plot of the series? Okay. Like, like as in not an arc, but like, should this be like fifty issues of killing presidents? <laughs> like, we'll do an entire Taft arc and stuff. You know, like, is that what this book is going to be? And I think it's probably for the best that we ended up doing all presidents in six issues. <laughs>
0: Um, when you guys did the uh, Deadpool's Secret Secret wars, um, yeah, yeah. W- where did that concept kind of come from
1: well it it, uh, it happened during Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars, the mm. new secret Wars book and uh, as you recall uh, at that time all comics stopped and were replaced with secret wars miniseries that were tying into that secret wars that took place on Battleworld or that et cetera et cetera, and basically we thought of this to be difficult
2: <laughs>
1: because i like doing something kind of surprising if at all possible so we said okay well for for our deadpool miniseries at that time we'll have deadpool in the original secret wars instead of this <laughs> secret wars and uh, thankfully uh, everybody uh, involved in publishing also thought it was funny and let us do it uh, and didn't say okay jerk <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm really happy that we were able to do that because uh, we would joke about it in the recap, going like, "Yeah, like the uh, Secret Wars, but that's not this. This is a, this is the old thing."
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're doing Deadpool books, how much fun is it to do those recap pages or the intro pages?
1: Oh, it's a lot of fun. I actually write uh, all of the recaps for the main Deadpool book, and I have for a long time. <laughs> So all of the the little cute Deadpool's I, I don't draw the little cute Deadpool's. That's uh, those are drawn by Irene Lee. Mm-hmm. Who used to originally she was in the Marvel bullpen drawing them, and now she's she left Marvel behind. But she's we we hire her as a freelancer to still draw those. Oh, wow. Um, so she draws them, but I but I've written the what he says uh, for pretty much all the recaps since the all new, or since the Marvel now relaunch. In fact, since since Brian and Jerry came on.
0: Oh wow. Now, why don't we see you writing more books? Because a lot of editors eventually start writing. Not not um, all of them, but some wait, of them do.
1: Nowadays, it's against the rules at Marvel for an editor to write the book while they're or write a book while they're write a comic while they're editing. Okay. Back in the old days, it was pretty common. Um, I don't know exactly when it stopped. If I had to guess, I'd guess it was during the time when 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 Joe Quesada was the editor in chief and in that era. I don't know for a fact, though. Um, in fact, now that I say that, it's funny because he actually was writing books relatively recently. But <laughs> internally, uh, that's not—it's—it's it's very frowned upon. Um, but yeah, like back in the old days, obviously, they people would just edit each other's books. They'd go, "I'll edit your book, you edit mine."
0: <laughs> um, uh,
1: but that being said, there are definitely former editors who write books uh, in the industry. So, you know, if I ever leave Marvel, um, I, I would definitely be interested. Like I said, I used to write uh, the my radio shows and. and write and draw my own comics uh which was a lot of fun uh that being said i don't have any plans to leave marvel anytime soon so fingers crossed i won't have to okay
0: um a question on deadpool with the most recent run where you've had those interspersed 2099 issues where did that kind of concept come from was it to space out the arcs was it to add a different flow or because that's very interesting and unique and then when you guys collect it in trades you end up you know having those particular issues form that own story
1: yeah yeah uh, well, that came to because in the previous volume we had done a similar thing, but not not one story. we had done what we had called the flashback issues
2: mm-hmm.
1: which all claimed to be um the, 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 it, 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 originally it came from doing it as a one off idea, and then we did it once and then we loved it so much we were like, we're not stopping this um, it was issue seven of Brian and Jerry's deadpool uh we we claimed in the recap page that it was a an inventory issue that was done <laughs> sometime in the late seventies, early eighties and was shelved and never published. And that what well, we were running behind, so we're going to publish it now. Um, and it was an issue where Deadpool, <laughs> where it was, it takes place kind of during the demon in a bottle, uh, storyline where Deadpool is literally hired by an actual demon to make sure that Iron Man does not sober up.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: And it was such and we and we so we drew it in the old school style. We colored it. uh, So Scott Koblish drew that. And then uh, Val Staples was our colorist on our flashback issues from that run. And he was incredibly good at mimicking old coloring and making the paper look like old paper and. he would offset the printing a little bit, so it looks. It, it was terrific, and we did a bunch of those. We did one in the seventies. We done one in the in the in the nineties. We did a um, a fifties issue. We did a uh, a fake uh, a fake uh, like corporate sponsored issue that was sponsored by Roxon. Uh, and so, when we did the new <laughs> volume, we said, "Okay, we want to do that, but but we don't want to do it exactly the same. What are we going to do this time?" And like you said. Uh, one of the ideas we had for a, a single issue That we never got around to Was to do Deadpool 2099 What would Deadpool 2099 be like And Jerry hit upon the idea That well What if Deadpool 2099 Is is Wade's daughter And as you can see in the story it Kind of he has two daughters Who are both very important To that story And they're they're fighting about the legacy of Deadpool And in a way, because, like you said, we had it we had an issue continuing that story between every arc uh, in a way, we sort of felt like that was almost the emotional center of the book because so much of what was happening in the issues between the twenty ninety nine issues had to do with Wade and his and messing up his relationship with his wife, who becomes the mother of one of the daughters, and mm. messing up his relationship with the daughter who's already alive, who is one of the daughters. And and so jumping from like his present interactions with those people to the 2099, where, where it's all going, uh, was very fun and satisfying. And I, I'm, again, very, very happy with how that one came out. I... I kind of wish we would have been able to do a Deadpool twenty ninety nine like like series or do another series of it afterwards. I, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's likely anytime soon. But that being said, if if readers enjoyed it, write into us and tell <laughs> us that you want to see it. And I've seen that work before, so please. In
0: in the, well, I I hope that does happen because it was a great story and it'd be really cool to kind of revisit those characters and see it keep going. Um, with the recent secret empire tie-ins, um, the, those are, first of all, really, really well done and really interesting and really kind of push the character in different ways. Uh, the death of, or the, when he kills Phil Coulson, that issue is yeah. outstanding. Um, but that's kind of a, a big move to have. I mean, that's a character with a lot of visibility. So how did you guys kind of orchestrate that or get the, I guess the ability within the offices to be like, I'm going to get Coulson and I'm going to kill him.
1: <laughs> that's a great question. Um, first of all, let me let me let me again praise Jerry Duggan. He is a really great writer, and I've been absolutely privileged to work with him for as long as I have, both on Deadpool and now on Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he's great at doing tie-in stories and making them matter to the character and to his ongoing story. Um, in the time he's written Deadpool, we tied in with original sin, we tied in with. Axis, we tied in with a tiny bit with uh, The Death of Wolverine, we tied in with Civil War II, Secret Wars, um, and then most recently, as you said, Secret Empire. And so he's always so good at at finding something in that story that can matter to Deadpool and so that it doesn't ever feel like, in in my opinion, like the Deadpool book stops to do a Mm tie-in. It's always like, no, this is... The next part of this terrible tragedy story that's happening (laughs) to Wade. Um, So when we hit upon the idea that that Deadpool would just be like, yeah, I'll do whatever Cap says, and that the idea came up that he will kill someone who matters. That Cap would say, "You, "You need to take this guy out." No questions asked, and Deadpool would be like, "Yeah, why would I ask questions? You're Captain America. I'll do it, of course." Mm-hmm. Um, we so we hit on that idea first, and we were like, "Okay, that's a thing we need to do." Who would be a really impactful character? And I'm really glad we ended up thinking of Coulson and getting clearance to use him. I mean, we had other ideas. You know, at one point we were thinking. I don't know. Like Hyperion could be interesting because that means Deadpool has to kill a really powerful character, and also it's kind of like he's killing Superman, so that could be fun. <laughs> but I don't think it would have had the same kind of impact because, you know, he's not as he's not necessarily that popular a character. But also, like, it's part of it is that Coulson is such a generally liked character and a good guy character like you know what I mean nobody he's not really distrusted even though he's a spy you know people generally feel like he's on the up and up yep um (laughs) we I mean there was a lot of coordination that make that happen we you know we knew the unfortunately we knew the shield comic was ending so we knew that we were clear on that front but we talked to Tom Brevoort and we talked about what we could do and how we could do it and I'm, I'm just really thankful that we were able to make it happen um and and then we seeded once once we knew that that's when we started seeding things in the book. Like I'm trying to remember how how, how far before it wasn't that far before maybe five or six issues before where you start seeing that because Coulson had appeared in Deadpool before like yeah. back because he's been interacting with Shield for a bunch. But we started seeding the idea that uh, Coulson knows Deadpool's daughter and they like each other and they hang out. And she calls him Uncle Phil and. <laughs> Uh, and then we, and, and again, as we got closer to Secret Empire, we started seeing him being suspicious of Cap. Um, so that, you know, Cap would have a, a reason to, to call in a, a hit on him. I, yeah, I'm really proud of how that worked out. I think, I think it worked very well. And it was, I think, very surprising to people. I think a lot of people thought, oh, F- F- Coulson's figuring this out. Deadpool, he's going to, like, team up with Deadpool, or he's going to convince Deadpool, and they're going to turn on him, and they're going to be good guys. <laughs> but it's like, no, 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 Deadpool, why would Deadpool question Captain America? That's the guy he trusts. That's the, literally the only guy who's ever said, hey, Deadpool, you're worth something. True. And so he was like, yeah, I'll do whatever he asks. <laughs> Bad choice in this case
0: now you brought up the fact that you know the the deadpool book has dovetailed into a lot of crossovers when Mm -hmm. those come up for a book like deadpool are you kind of able to kind of pick and choose which ones that the character ends up getting involved in given its higher profile or is it kind of more assumed that in some way there will be some sort of tie-in or how does that navigate
1: it i mean there's always a a bit of an option i mean what uh, there was not really an option for secret wars but that that was fine uh that was such a big thing we had we knew it was coming a long way away Mm -hmm. um Generally speaking, you know, they'll prefer that we try to tie in if, if it's a thing that they're looking for tie-ins for. Um, but it's not mandated. I'm trying to think if there's any we didn't tie into in that time. I mean, of the really big ones. Uh, Fear Itself was before Jerry and Brian's run. We did a Deadpool Fear Itself miniseries, though, but that was that was back during Dan Way's run. Um, I'm trying to remember. AVX was just before... Uh, Jerry and Brian's run started, and, and Deadpool didn't tie into that. But I think since then, I feel like we've tied into all of the like big stories, mm-hmm. and because, and, and like I said, it, a lot of it just is because Jerry is good at that. You know, he, he's he's been present at he's usually at the Marvel retreats, and we talk about them, and he hears them, and he's he's a great you know he's a great yes and guy. <laughs> you know, he, he's great at. At, at hearing that story and going, yeah, yeah, I can go along with that.
0: Where did the idea come up for him to take over all the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and the uh, the new, all-new Guardians of the Galaxy? Um,
1: I think it was Axel's suggestion. I'm not 100% clear on that. Because, uh, in fact, uh, so I, I came onto the Guardians books before Jerry started on Guardians, but top secret, the reason I came onto the Guardians when I did is because uh, they knew that I was going to be working on it with Jerry as well. Okay. So, uh, so we were already, like, prepping for it back when I was working on the last, whatever it was, nine months of, of Brian's run. Um, yeah. What what brought it up is, again, cause, uh, because he's so good at writing things that are both uh, – truly adventure stories with emotional content in them, but also are really fun and funny. And that's something that's so prominent in the movies. And I know, obviously, uh, it's not 100% the way that things were back in the the Annihilation era of uh, the Guardians, when this team was first conceived. Mm -hmm. But the movies have shaped so much of what people think of this book as. And I think speaking to jerry's guardians i think he's doing a very good job of wedding those two ideas of uh of giving you a book that has the fun and the feel of the movies but also acknowledges and and harkens back to story-wise those uh those annihilation era guardians stories because uh you know, because again, he knows all that stuff. He he's familiar with those stories, and he's familiar with the '70s stories that a lot of these characters come from. And he, we, while we did, when people saw that, oh, it's going to be the same team as the film, and and oh, even there's a baby Groot, people went, oh, they're just doing the movie, and that's not true. Uh, we're definitely, again, we were definitely doing that in an acknowledgement of the movie because there's a big movie, absolutely, that a lot, drew a lot of attention, but. It was 100% a thing that I think Jerry then justified in story. Groot's not a baby for no reason. Uh, there's a, a, there was a mystery. We recently revealed – a spoiler if you don't want to know this – but we recently have revealed that the reason he's small is because the gardener attacked him, chopped him into bits, and has grown himself an army of, of evil Groots. Um, the Gardener being one of the elders of the universe. If you don't know that, he's like, he's <laughs> I realized like, he's, I was dropping the name the Gardener like it was a common knowledge.
0: No, no, I mean <laughs> I, I know who that is, but a lot of people don't because he's one of that kind of the most forgotten um, elders.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, so that was a, that was a fun reveal we, we got recently. So so he so the guard, and the Guardians have been like wondering, like we don't know why Groot won't grow back. Normally, if, if this happens to him, he, he would grow back to normal. But he's been small for a while, and we can't figure out why. And now they know why. It's because of the gardener. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, so Jer- Jerry, I think, is doing a great job of marrying all of those things uh, in that book. Hmm.
0: I absolutely agree. Now, last year, a book that kind of felt like, how did this not happen before, was Spider-Man Deadpool.
1: <laughs> now, that's a great example of... I told people if you want this to happen, tell Marvel, and we were inundated with emails and tweets, and you know that is a because you demanded it book absolutely a hundred percent.
0: Now, how did you ca- cajole Joe and, and Ed to get back together? That
1: is mostly because they are they were they both missed Deadpool and working with each other. Uh, I actually went up to Ed McGuinness at. New York Comic Con, a couple of years ago, and I told—I had told him through email—I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about something, and he was like, "Okay, great." And I uh, went over to talk to him, and I asked him about a project that he turned down. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about what that was, but I—but <laughs> I—I asked him about a project. I said, "Oh, we really would love you to do this," and he was like, "Oh." No I, no, I don't really think that I, I would fit. I, I don't think that's my style. I don't want to do that. I was, I'm was i really sad, though, because I, I was really hoping you were going to ask me to do some Deadpool. Oh. And I was like, oh, I mean, if you want to do Deadpool, <laughs> I'll find a way to get you to do Deadpool. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I think I might be mistaken, but I think he might have even said it would be great to do more Deadpool with Joe Kelly. And Joe was also at the con. And so I went over to Joe and I was like, Listen, man, I don't know I don't know what it would be, but you know, Ed's interested in doing some Deadpool. Would you ever be interested in going back to the character? Maybe for at the time I was thinking, maybe for an OGN or something or, or, or some sort of Deadpool project. And he was like, Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think I think I still have things I could do with that character and, and fun we could have with that character. And then for various reasons it, it didn't happen right then you know what I mean like there was other there was other stuff for Ed to do at the time there was other stuff Joe was Joe's was always busy Joe's got so much going on
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I told people about the idea and they were like that's a cool idea I just don't know if the, it's the right time relatively shortly thereafter is when get like I said we were getting deluged with people saying I want to read a spider-man and Deadpool comic I would absolutely buy that every month if you were putting it out and that, like I said, that's very persuasive to people uh, when we actually get like a, a quantity of uh, of contact from people, and uh, and so I was talking with Nick Lowe, who co-edits the book with me, since he's the Spider-Man editor,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like like I said, Joe had done great work both on Deadpool and on Spider-Man in the past. Uh, we had both worked with him, so when I brought up the idea of what, wait, what if we had Joe and Ed do this Nick was All for it Nick was also A huge fan Of Ed's work Having worked With him uh, A bunch of times And We were Absolutely like Yes Let's make this happen And I'm so glad We were able to do it I uh, Now I will say In a perfect world We would have had More of the issues Come out uh, In a row <laughs> 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 that, that book Had to skip around A little bit uh, I, again, I'm very proud of all the the, the fill in stories we were able to get, and we got some really fun, uh, like celebrity writers to come in and do stuff, and uh, really fun concepts for issues. But yeah, unfortunately, we had to do that because you know our, our our big team of of Joe and Ed uh, was not quite getting the books uh, done fast enough for us to do twelve in a row. I'm still I'm still really pleased with how it turned out. In fact, I think. I might be mistaken, but I think there's going to be a collection of all 12 of their issues coming I think out relatively
0: soon. I think you're right on that. Yeah. I, I think I did see something uh, listed. So well, you, you bring up the, the fill-ins. Now, how did, how did you – as you said, you had the kind of celebrity writers kind of coming in. How did that work, or how did you kind of get these people involved with the project and kind of slotting them in for the, the non-Ed um, and Joe issues?
1: Well, basically, I mean, like I said, it was it came from me and Nick looking at the schedule and going – Oh, this isn't going to happen. We, we have to solicit an issue in a minute, and, uh, or in a, in a few weeks, probably at the time. Uh, and of course, sure, we could easily solicit another Joe and Ed issue, but I don't think it will come out when we're saying it's going to come out. So we racked our brains and said, what, you know, them reuniting is a big deal. Uh, and the work they're doing is top notch. And this book is doing really well. Um, if we're going to put in a fill in story, it can't just be a run of the mill story. We should try to make it as big a deal as that. And um, I'm trying to remember what the first one was. Again, a lot of them were people that I had had contact with for other reasons. So uh, Scott Ackerman, who does the Comedy Bang Bang podcast and at the time was doing the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, um, he's a big comic book fan. And I knew that he had come by the office one time to say hi to everybody and be on the Marvel podcast. And in addition, he had written a short story for me on one of my Deadpool issues. Just a, uh, it was actually a, if I remember correctly, he did a short story about Scott Adsit. Oh, really? About about S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent Scott Adsit, which originally Scott Adsit was supposed to write, but he had to beg out because he was too busy. So we got Scott Ackerman to write it instead, who is friends with Scott Adsit. That's funny. Um, So anyway, I knew he was interested in comics, and so we said, "Well, let's let's reach out and see if we can get him to do it." Um, uh, and then I think we what was the next one? The next one we did was another of our our fake flashback issues. We had Jerry Duggan do a fake old Amazing Spider Man issue where where where, where Spider Man meets Deadpool while while covering the uh, what is it nineteen sixty seven Democratic Convention.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yes.
1: <laughs> Uh, ridiculous, ridiculous premise, but again, very, I think, very well pulled off. Scott uh, Scott Koblish, the artist, did his uh, absolute best to do a Ditko impression, and again, Val Staples colored it to make it look very, very old school and very fun. Uh, I was very happy with that one, and I think then the next one after that was the Pendulette one, and again, we were uh, we were racking our brains, going, "Who can we get to do this?" And I am a huge. Penn and teller fan i have loved them for my entire life and i had um i had had some some communications with pen over twitter before and so nick was like just reach out and i was like yeah all right i mean he, of course he'll say no but I'll yeah what's it gonna harm mm-hmm. and he did not say no he was so excited and uh, so we got the issue where pen and teller meet uh, spider-man and deadpool and and uh <laughs> I, I'm, it was it was literally a dream come true. I, I cannot believe that happened. Uh, I love it so much.
0: <laughs> now, I, I would be remiss now, uh, and we're kind of drawing close to our, our time here, but um, I haven't talked about the giant elephant in the room, which is Star Wars. Um, what? Yeah, I know this huge thing that you're the, the shepherd of the Marvel Star Wars books, which is a huge seller and a, an a amazing line of books. How did you get to be the one shepherding that line across?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I, You know, they've never told me literally why they chose me for it. Um, I, Again, at the time, when they picked me for it, I was editing uh, the Deadpool books and probably a couple other things. I, I'm trying to remember. I, uh, back then I was doing, I think, Thunderbolts, uh, X-Factor, um, you know, a few things like that. Uh, and... I had absolutely no idea it was coming. I didn't know. I mean, I knew that Lucasfilm had been bought by Disney, but I hadn't even considered. Well, what does that mean for the comics? Um, you know, partially because you know there were other Disney comics published by other other companies, and those had never moved. So uh, I I I literally never even asked the question: Will Marvel publish Star Wars comics?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so when they called me into an office. Literally, the day before I went to Disney World for a vacation, uh, and they said to me, "We're going to have you edit the Star Wars line of books, but you cannot tell anyone this." I had no idea it was coming. I was completely bowled over. Um, that being said, again, uh, it's it's been an absolute honor. Uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, so as for exactly why they chose me, I, I would be, I would just be guessing and probably saying ridiculously nice things about myself <laughs> that I don't want to say uh, if I was going to try to guess that. Um, yeah, I didn't campaign for the job, that's for sure. And, and it's not even like I'm... I am a much bigger Star Wars fan now than I was when they picked me, which is not to say I didn't like Star Wars. I've loved Star Wars. I, I literally can't remember seeing my first Star Wars movie. I've had Star Wars as part of my life
2: mm-hmm.
1: so long. Um, but... But at the time, it, it had been a while. I mean, it was, again; it was before the buzz really started building up for the new movies, uh, and I I hadn't watched at that time the Clone Wars yet. So it was sort of at a at a in a lull of my fandom of Star Wars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so 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 it's I, so I can't even say like they were like oh this is the guy because he knows Star Wars like I, I know it all right but I didn't. I, wasn't, uh, I probably was not the biggest Star Wars fan on the Editorial Row. <laughs> um, but, uh, but since then, I, I jumped back into the, the Star Wars uh, fandom and the Star Wars uh, stories it, with both feet. I, I immediately uh, – my, my boss, Nick Lowe, at the time also was aware of what was happening. So he was like one of the only people I could talk to about it uh, at, at first. And he he is the one who told me about the Star Wars Minute podcast because he's friends with Alex Robinson who does that. Okay. And uh, I so I downloaded I started listening to that podcast as soon as I could. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, <laughs> the two hosts Alex and Pete, uh, what they have done is they've taken well they started with just the first the first movie uh, A New Hope, originally. Then they took A New Hope and they broke it into minute long segments and they did a daily podcast covering each minute uh, maybe a 20 to 30 minute podcast on each minute wow and at this point they've gone through four five six one and two and i think three will will start uh either later this year or early next year uh, and they're planning to keep going because it's it's a great podcast, so much fun. But 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 listening to that by that point, they had already finished all of episode four and were working on episode five. And so I was, it, it's hours and hours and hours of material. But it was very very detailed look at a new hope. And so I listened to that. I I started reading uh, uh, the the Darths and Droids. Uh, uh, Webcomic. if you're not familiar with that that's a really funny one where they do all the star wars movies as if they're a role-playing game that's right yeah <laughs> so funny so funny basically i immersed myself into star wars fandom as much as possible to get back into the swing of it and i've been so happy to be here
0: now what's your communication like with you know the movie side and kind of coordinating
1: well uh Every once, uh, once in a while, like maybe three or four times a year, I will go out to San Francisco and meet with them. Uh, and when I'm out there, I'll meet with the publishing folks who are my main contacts all of the time. But I'll also usually meet with Story Group, um, who are, if you don't know, Lucasfilm Story Group is the the group of of executives who are. I mean, I, I, I use the word executives really casually there, but that makes it sound like a bunch of suits they're they're awesome smart people who know story is what they are and they're creative people um and so i'll I'll meet with a handful of them and they uh are involved in the movies they're involved in the tv shows they're involved in the video games they're involved in the comics in the books in anything that has story content and is a star wars thing they are involved um and they are again terrific smart people so much fun to work with um So when I go out there, I'll meet with them a a bit Most of the time I communicate directly with The folks in Lucasfilm Publishing Uh, Frank Parisi over there Is our main contact I'll I'll work with the creators here at at Marvel We'll send a product to Frank The script, and then the art, and then the the lettering And then everything Uh, And he will He'll give notes, if he's got notes And he'll pass it along to Story Group Uh, Our main Story Group person is Matt Martin Who is terrific and, uh, and then it comes back to us with, with their notes on
0: it. How does that kind of affect the, the overall kind of turnaround time on a traditional comic then?
1: We do have to get it done a little bit earlier. Um, at, at first, uh, I, think, uh, I think they were a little bit surprised at how quickly we work. Uh, comic books are actually produced pretty fast, mm-hmm. especially, and, and well, they're, they, they're produced very quickly and in bulk. Uh, you know, we we put out a lot of comics. So, uh, what's the turnaround on a comic? So, probably, for, let's say, from me talking with a writer about what's this next issue going to be about, we have no, we don't have anything. We start talking about it to the day when we send it to the printer. On average, on average, I would say probably three. Three and a half to four months And like I said That's an average So there are definitely books That take longer than that And there are books That are shorter than that I try not to do that
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: But but it happens quickly And uh, on, on a lot of our books We will work right up to the deadline As much as possible On Star Wars books We can't do that On Star Wars books we, With Lucasfilm We have worked out a system Where we we get our things done Earlier than we would Normally and they actually, in turn, are turning around their notes faster than I think they would normally as well, knowing how quickly we work. Um, and uh, and we've worked out and made that system work pretty well. So, so yeah, I mean, again, it's not that much earlier, but – usually a Star Wars book will probably be pretty much done a week before we need to send it to the printer, whereas a Deadpool book will be done, like, the day we have to send it to the printer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, when, when you launched the first Star like, the Star Wars ongoing, which is obviously part of the big kind of return to Marvel, uh, you know, the, where those comics kind of first started back in the day, um, how... What was the process of selecting Jason Aaron and Cassidy as the artistic team? Because um, were there a lot of people kind of pitching for it were did you have kind of a clear sense of who you wanted like how did that work because that was a you know a big thing to be launching and you know important to the company as well
1: absolutely uh well as soon as we it was announced that we were doing star wars books publicly, uh, definitely a lot of people sent in emails to to well, probably not to me because I don't think it was announced that I was going to be editing them very first thing. But probably to Axel and to probably everybody to Tom Brevoort to Nick everybody uh, saying, "Hey, uh, you know, just so you know, I'd be interested." Um, that said, I, that wasn't that wasn't really a factor in, in our decision making. We <laughs> we pretty much knew most people would be interested in doing Star Wars stuff uh, when we first pitched to Lucasfilm before we had a creative team in place we brought them uh, kind of an assortment of here's a bunch of writers some of you know of the caliber that we'd be talking about here's a bunch of artists of the caliber we'd be talking about you know uh, and among those was Jason Aaron and among those was John Cassidy and for ourselves at Marvel that, that was who we wanted on the book like we knew that Uh, We knew we wanted it to be Jason and John. Um, It was just a matter of, hey, what do you guys think of these people? And they were like, oh, yeah, these people are all really talented. And then we were like, great, we're thinking this one and this one. And they were like, that sounds awesome. And then we we talked to Jason. He was immediately thrilled. We talked to John. He was immediately thrilled. Because that's the thing. All these people are huge Star Wars fans. I mean, they really are. Um, We were fortunate enough that, who was it? Let's see, who was it? It was Jason. John Cassidy Kieran Gillen Myself C.B. Cebulski And Axel Alonso All uh, Got to go To the Lucasfilm archives On Skywalker Ranch Which is The place where they keep Like their big collection Of Star Wars costumes And props And You know Matte paintings And like all All of that stuff Wow Uh, It was So amazing And again Every single person there was totally geeking out. <laughs> Every single person there was like beaming like a like a high beam car, like because oh, okay. Oh, and I, I should mention, so I said Star Wars. There was also there the Lost Ark was there. You know Indiana Jones's costume was oh my there. God. Um, uh, we saw uh, uh, an old uh, like like. I don't want to say rotting, but you know, you know how like the uh, the 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 rubber monsters over time uh, mm. and alien stuff, they will like deteriorate. Yeah. So we saw some deteriorating monsters, but including uh, a deteriorating Howard the Duck
2: <laughs> was
1: there. Uh, lots of Willow stuff Oh yeah uh, You know Oh yeah Oh yeah I mean they've got stuff From all of the big movies They did And, and so But of course The Star Wars stuff Was the most exciting stuff So many lightsaber hilts um, Han and Carbonite The the actual one From the movie Oh really uh, Yeah 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 So much cool stuff the, the Death Star model From Return of the Jedi um, I, The one thing That was interesting Is because The They, they have like 20,000 billion costumes From the prequels Because they just made them And and then from the original series It's kind of like uh, This row That's it Because they, they, <laughs> it was a long time ago And they didn't necessarily know We need to keep them all But we did see some of the Awesome costumes from the original uh, As we were leaving They said to us Is there anything you You didn't see That you would like to see And I was just kind of like Oh I don't know Hey wait a minute We didn't see a mouse droid and they were like, "We got a mouse droid. Come on over here!" And they <laughs> walked us back in and said, "Right down here, there's a the mouse droid. And I was like, "Oh, look at that!" <laughs> uh, it was so cool. It was so cool. Uh, and so and so anyway, the point being, I think we chose the right people. John and John and Jason were both so so excited to be working on Star Wars, and I think it the 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 arc they did together was absolutely amazing. And I think set the exact right. Uh, Expectations and and a high bar, but I think a great high bar for uh, for what the series could be.
0: Now, when when you had both of them on that initial arc, was it always kind of an understanding that Cassidy would only kind of be there for the first arc?
1: Uh, I don't know if we always knew it the entire time, but we knew it was always a possibility. I mean, he's 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 also a very busy guy. He doesn't tend to do a ton of, of interior work in comics anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think I th- you know I think we probably were like, oh, you know, he'll do these these six issues, and then maybe we'll have him back to do something else. And unfortunately, it just never really worked out.
0: Um, do, was it um, when, when the creative teams were working on the book? Is it almost surprising that it took until issue twelve to have everyone hold a lightsaber?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, honestly, we probably uh, we probably had to cajole Lucasfilm to let us do that because uh, it's not that often that they let uh, you know that they have non Jedi using a uh, lightsaber in, mm-hmm. in Star Wars stuff. So, um, so I'm, I'm really I'm really happy we were able to get away with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially because you know you have people who would never normally like wield them. Like Chewie with a lightsaber is really cool, but also like what?
1: Yeah, he probably has to be very careful. He can be cinching his hair all the time.
0: <laughs> um, now, when. So, Caste leaves. Obviously, Jason Aaron's just about to leave, I guess, right? Hasn't uh, left, yes. Issue
1: 37 is his last issue. So, uh, for us, we've sent his last issue to press, uh, but it has not hit the stands yet. So,
0: what was that like when he started? Did you have any idea that he would end up staying on it this long, or that you know, did you think that it would be a shorter run? Like, from an editor's perspective, how long did you think this would last?
1: Uh, I think I knew that Jason would be on this long. I I probably. I mean, honestly, I probably hoped that he would be on even longer, which is not to say uh, that anything bad happened or that I'm sad Kieran Gillen's coming on, because I love Kieran as well. I just, you know, usually going into a run, I'm a fan of long runs. So I always want them to last as long as possible. Uh, And I knew that Jason, again, like I said, Jason loves Star Wars, so it doesn't surprise me that we kept him as long as we did. Um, Even though he is a really busy writer. I mean, he's writing... A bunch of stuff for Marvel, uh, not all of which is is public knowledge, so I can't even talk too much about it. But he's writing a lot of great stuff, and so and he's a very much in demand. So I'm really happy we were able to keep him as long as we did.
0: When Kieran Gillen started writing Darth Vader, did you did you guys have any idea that those new droids would become so popular?
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, again, when I mean Kieran is such a good writer too, and when he turns in a script. Uh, you know, so often I will be like cackling with joy when I read his scripts. And that was absolutely the case when we when we first were introduced to uh, to to BT and Triple Zero and Dr. Afra, which was pretty much all in one issue, if I remember correctly. I think so. Um, and no, we had but we had no idea that they would they would all take off it like they did. Uh, we were just happy to have more exciting characters for darth vader and and i think kieran was just happy to have some characters who could talk more <laughs> take some of the take some of the narrative burden off of uh off of darth vader glaring at people silently <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: but no yeah we've been thrilled you know i, I they've they've made uh, uh like statues of triple zero and bt uh afra got an action figure uh I think the BT and Triple Zero were in a, uh, a miniatures game, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've both appeared in, in video games at this point. Uh, it's so cool. It's so cool to see characters that we introduced in the comics show up in other media.
0: One of my favorite scenes in, the, um, I guess, really the first arcs of uh, both Darth Vader and um, Star Wars, and I'm, I'm interested to see how, or to learn how it was developed, was the scene where uh, Boba Fett goes to Darth Vader and lets him know the name of the of the pilot, because it's such a powerful moment, and it wasn't until it was in both these books that I realized that we'd never seen that before. Um, yeah. So, who kind of came up with that, and the idea to have it reflected in both books with slightly different perspectives?
1: That came... That idea came up at Lucasfilm when we were out there for that visit where we went to the archives um, so I don't remember the exact like moment when that idea came up, but it was you know probably we were all at some crazy San Francisco bar in the middle of the night talking about how amazing Star Wars was and what kind of crazy big moments we could get in these books because um, like, I know like very early on, I think Kieran had pitched the idea of the start of the Vader book being uh, uh, reminiscent of the start of Jedi with Luke entering Jabba's palace, but have it be Vader. And uh, it was some, it was sometime during that trip that that idea came up of, Hey, we don't know where, like we know when Luke finds out that he's his father and we know there's a scene where the emperor tells Darth Vader that Luke is Anakin's son, Mm -hmm. but, before that, uh, in the opening crawl, it already says Darth Vader is obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker, which suggests to us that he already knows and he's lying to the Emperor when he pretends he didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, once we hit on that idea uh, – and again, both writers were there and both writers immediately – uh, uh, jumped at that. And we're like, oh my god, that's amazing! And we had already been saying that we wanted these books to be kind of sister series. You know, that we wanted the the main book to be the Rebels and the, the Vader book to be Vader's side of the that era. And um, so it just seemed like a natural thing that we could have both uh, both books start from the idea of. Vader's looking into this thing, and kind of come back around to them both getting to the point of him finding it out, and it was it was so great how well it came together, because um, I think if I remember correctly, I think Star Wars got to have the beat first, that it came out in Star Wars first, which made sense because it's the it's the flagship series yeah. of him of him getting this information. Uh, And on that side is where you're seeing Boba Fett coming back from the fight with Luke Saying all I got was the name Skywalker Um, And then the Vader book Came out next and in the Vader book We see it again but then You kind of get uh, something we used A a few times throughout the series but I think This was the first time we used it Kieran wrote this idea that you see Flashes of flashbacks You see a bunch of uh, Still moments from Anakin's Memories uh, cause we never had narration for Darth Vader. We never wanted to have Darth Vader being like, Oh man, that's my son. Like I, I, I really want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? We didn't want any of that. Uh, cause we felt like that would cheapen the character. But with this thing where we just go, here's callbacks to, Hey, you, this is Anakin and Padme, you know, uh, this is when he, you know, when he strangled her probably. this is, you know, this is when this happened. This is when this happened. It, it, it was very suggestive, and it lets the reader uh, draw all those connections themselves, or connect all those dots themselves, and go, oh, this is what he's feeling, this is what he's thinking. Uh, and I think it worked out great.
0: Oh, it's chilling. I mean, the, uh, I think it was in Star Wars when you just had that scene of just the, the shattered glass, after, and as he says, the name. Yeah. And it's just like, that. that's so good. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things where you're like, kind of like, well, why didn't anyone do this before? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, we were really psyched when we when we first uh, thought of that.
0: Speaking of those kind of those flashbacks that uh, that Kieran used throughout Darth Vader, um, probably my favorite line of his entire of the entire series is that when he's in his own mind and he and he kills the younger version of himself and just says mm-hmm. he's he's well accustomed to killing children. Yeah. Like, holy shit, that's dark.
1: <laughs> it was dark. I again, I remember reading that script and being like, oh my god, it was so good.
0: Now it's interesting. So when when uh, Kieran ends, you actually end the book, and then so we kind of end the the current kind of Vader um, narrative. And then when you guys bring back a Darth Vader book, we go back to kind of the beginning of Darth. What was you know what kind of prompted you to do that as opposed to kind of keeping the numbering going and keeping the story going? Or is it just because Kieran was done and you wanted to kind of tie a bow on it?
1: Yeah, I think it was more that. I mean, K- Kieran a, as a writer is. Uh... You know, he likes to tell a complete story as much as possible, and we were very fortunate that we were able to do that there. You know, we, we, he set out to say, well, I want to take him from – one of the things we said a lot about, about Vader is that in A New Hope, he answers to a lot of people. He, he – um, you know, there's a lot of generals and, and, you know, military guys who are not afraid of him. You know, they kind of tell him off, you know. And you know, including Tarkin uh, among others. Whereas when we see him in Empire, he pretty much walks around with authority all the time. If anybody mouths off to him, he just murders them. Uh, and so we said, well, what, what happened there? What, why? What's the difference? What happened? And uh, and I think Kieran did a great job of actually of tying it into that emotional thing because one of the things that I, I've said about it is that. Uh, we you know, we talk about a new hope, right? And Luke is the, the new hope for the Force and for the Jedi and all these things. But it's also a new hope for Vader.
2: Because mm.
1: Vader had lost anything and everything that he cares about. He had absolutely nothing. He was just kind of going through the motions of being terrible because it's all he had. Uh, when he finds out Luke is his son, all of a sudden he has something to care about. He knows he's been lied to, and he knows – and he thinks, I can – I can have Luke and we can, you know, I don't want to say be a family that makes it sound a little too cheesy, but you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We can rule the galaxy side by side. Um, And I think that motivates him to kind of take back control. And he starts all of his like manipulations of, of what's going on. And also, and then we tie that in with like the, uh, the emperor kind of testing him, uh, with, with the other, uh, with Silo and Silo's creations, and by the end of that, Vader's able to rise up and be the commanding Vader of Empire, being in charge of the Executor, be in charge of, of a lot of, of the military. He's he's overcome uh, Tag, who was put in, in charge of him during the, the Vader series, um, and so you know with that story done, you know yes, we could have continued it from there, but in many ways we'd already accomplished what we wanted from that era of Vader, and in addition, uh. You know, we wanted to be able to leave him as a as a potential bad guy as well, without always being the star of his own book in that era. Mm. So, so I think both of those are, the, are are reasons that we stopped it. But that being said, that doesn't mean we don't want to tell stories about Darth Vader. And uh, in in talking to Lucasfilm about what other things we can do with him, what else can we explore? Uh, the idea of the the book that Charles Soule is now doing. What what happened immediately after Episode Three? And especially, you know, him becoming Darth Vader for the first time, at, or, or rather, becoming the uh, the Darth Vader we know, because he technically already was Darth Vader before he got chopped up and mm-hmm. burned alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, and also, uh, as you're about to start seeing, how that inv- how he got brought into helping to lead the Inquisitorius. Uh, which you will start seeing in episode six in issue six of the new series, uh, which is really fun and interesting for those people reading or reading watching rebels seeing the inquisitors there mm-hmm. uh, so it should be really cool
0: no it 's interesting too that um you, you guys had, you know, the Darth Maul book and the Darth Vader book, and it's very interesting that, you know, you have these characters set in and around their original appearances, uh both, you know, apprentices to the Emperor, but in very different places, but having kind of interesting, almost parallel stories, um, of kinda of, kinda of trying to figure out who they are. Uh with mm-hmm. with Maul it's him wanting to get his kill, wanting to, you know, be able to be let off the leash. And with Vader it's kind of figuring out, well, what now do I do?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think honestly. I I think that I think Sidious didn't really respect Maul that much. Mm. Like, I I don't think he really thought he was going to be a super successful apprentice. Um, a lot of people, I've seen people arguing about this online about this whole thing of, oh well, in the new Darth Vader series, you're saying the Emperor is like, you have to go kill a Jedi and get their uh uh, kyber crystal and and use it to make your new lightsaber whereas darth maul already has a lightsaber with two red kyber crystals and yet he's saying he's never killed a jedi what's the deal there that's a mistake and i don't think that's a mistake i think that's i don't think he gave darth maul that test because i don't think he really thought this guy's going to be in it for the long term. Mm. Like I think he was like I'm honing this guy to be my attack dog, to be my you know my missile that I fire off in a specific direction when it's, when the time comes. But I think he thought of him as kind of expendable. I mean, I I, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure that he was already grooming uh, Dooku, but I suspect he was
0: by mm. that point. Well, and I guess Skywalker obviously is, has a more importance as a, as a you know, prophetic character, um, uh-huh. so it makes sense to be like, take that a lot more seriously, uh-huh. Uh-huh. as opposed to someone who's not part of a prophecy. Right. Um, a question I had about the end of Darth Vader, if, if Dr. Afra and her, you know, her her droids hadn't become as popular as they did, do you think, it? I mean, this is a kind of a what-if, but do you think you guys would have stuck with actually killing her off at the end of Darth Vader as opposed to letting her live?
1: Um, probably I remember that Kieran was even surprised himself By thinking of how to save her And 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 not like he was literally typing it that issue But at some point in the planning of the series He realized he was able to save her And was incredibly overjoyed Because before that he was going Look, there's nothing you can do If Darth Vader is going to kill you that's it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like he's going to kill you. Like that's it. <laughs> uh, and so he, we were pretty sure she was going to die for a long time, and then eventually he figured out. Oh my god, I think I can save her. I think I can. I think I can have her get away. And honestly, I think he did it really masterfully. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, I, actually, uh, uh, a friend of mine who. <laughs> Who reads digital comics He reads his comics uh, He buys them on Comixology okay. uh, Read that issue And I don't know if you remember But for the last issue of Darth Vader We set that up as like a post credit sequence the, the, That's right, the, yeah. the, the, the comic ends And then we have the credits page And then after that You turn a page again And then you find out that Aphra lived uh, My friend did not do that he, he was reading it digitally so he didn't physically feel I have another 10 pages left of this comic or whatever it was so he went hit the credits and went oh the end wow that was a sad comic and like he messaged me and I was like he was I'm saying about like oh sad about Dr. and I was like what do you mean <laughs> and he was like Dr. Vader killed her and I was like ha 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 ha, ha. and he was like what why are you laughing <laughs> Uh, it was pretty delightful. Pretty delightful.
0: That's funny. Yeah, I hadn't thought about. it. Yeah, if you're reading digitally, <laughs> you'd have no way of knowing that. But... Wow, that's funny. Yeah, I guess that's a that's a drawback to only being digital. Yep,
1: yep,
0: yep. Um, which uh, you guys have done a variety of different kind of uh, other books and miniseries uh, under the Star Wars brand. Um, which kind of been your favorite or the one that you were? Uh, most satisfied with how it kind of turned out or uh, that you maybe were more involved in the in kind of the genesis of the concept before you brought a creative team in?
1: My my favorite is probably Lando. Uh, the Lando mini was just, again, so surprising and fun. Um, that was... Uh, I think the way we pitched that was... We, we knew we wanted – that was the first thing Charles Soule ever wrote for Star Wars. And uh, we pitched that as uh, – we knew Charles – we wanted Charles to write it and we were like, what are you interested in? And I think I think in retrospect, I think he first was trying to pitch a, a story about the Emperor uh, and that slowly – morphed into ended up being a story about Lando which is a strange way of going about things but it, it makes sense if you were reading all the drafts
2: <laughs>
1: um, and again it, it ended up being so much fun because it's a very a very Lando story it has so many things that it's like oh yeah that's very Lando-y, but it also has such a surprise when you find out what he's stolen at the end of the first issue and what that gets him into. And in addition I think people were Very surprised by The emotional Ending of that one Mm,
2: Absolutely
1: Um, Yeah uh, Because again Like he's still He's still his Charming Lando self The entire time I think I think he absolutely Nailed that character But um But yeah There there ended up being Some really surprising Stuff in there In addition I should also say uh, The Han Solo series Was also terrific Marjorie Liu Came up with a, a Really great story About Han Uh Going undercover in this this uh, spaceship spaceship race for for the rebellion, mm-hmm. and Mark Brooks, his art on that series is incredible. Uh, they, I think they were nominated for uh, it was nominated for best miniseries in the Eisners, which was, was an absolute honor to be nominated for. Um, it was an, a really really well made series. They they both did an amazing job, and I was. I was very happy to be able to work with them on that.
0: So before we kind of close off, um, anything in particular you'd like to, to uh, kind of tease that's coming up from your your various offices?
1: Uh, sure, sure. Uh, just quickly, I'll talk about. Uh, well, in the Star Wars world, like like we said, uh, Kieran Gillen is taking over Star Wars with issue twenty eight. Uh, no, sorry, thirty eight. <laughs> uh, he's he's uh, he's picking up. The, the story pretty much shortly thereafter, right after Jason's – my point being, the story continues. It's not it's not like, stop, here's a whole new volume. But that being said, he does have a different direction he wants to go with the three main characters of Luke Han and Leia. Um, in the first arc, they're going to be traveling to the remains of the planet Jeddah from Rogue One. Oh, yeah. Should be very exciting. Uh, over on the Doctor Afra series, we're we're just wrapping up the first year of that comic right now, and we've got uh, we're kicking off the second year of it, which is going to be absolutely terrific uh, and kind of get even crazier uh, as that book tends to get.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: on the on the Marvel front, uh, we're heading into this uh, this uh, era we call Marvel Legacy, where we're bringing uh, the biggest stories we can to every book and. Stories that are huge stories But also tie into the, the history Of Marvel Comics in some way So over in Deadpool we've got an arc For Marvel Legacy called Deadpool Kills Cable
2: <laughs>
1: And uh, I promise That he does kill Cable Okay <laughs> uh, And Who is his good friend as you know And that should be – oh, and we're actually changing the name of the book from Deadpool to the Despicable Deadpool, uh, continuing his downward spiral (laughs) from uh, Secret Empire. Over in Guardians, uh, we're going to – oh, and I'm sorry. One more thing about both Deadpool and Guardians. Uh, We're going back to the legacy numbering, uh, which – so Deadpool, our first legacy issue will be 287 adding up all of the Deadpool series uh, because we ended our last volume of Deadpool with issue 250 and so this is uh, 37 issues later so 287 <laughs> nice and easy um, math what was that?
0: nice and easy math
1: yes exactly <laughs> uh, over in Guardians Legacy starts with issue 146 oh no I'm sorry 246 two forty-six. Uh, so it'll be Guardians of the Galaxy number 246 uh, The arc is called Infinity Quest The Guardians are Beginning a quest which is going to be Actually a really really huge story In the Guardians that lasts For some time uh, Where they're searching for the Inf- Infinity Stones They've been tasked with Finding and protecting the Infinity Stones uh, The first step Of that is going to start off with them Joining the Nova Corps very cool. So all of the garden guardians become novas, and in addition, one other really exciting thing in Marvel Comics is that I am taking over editing Daredevil. Oh wow! Uh, he's a character I've loved for a long time as well, so I'm very excited to be jumping onto that book. And uh, the legacy arc of that starts with issue. Oh geez, because <laughs> I'm so new to that book, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say you're gonna have to look that up, please. But the arc is called. Mayor Fisk. Very cool. And I think people can probably guess what that means.
0: <laughs> now, a question: So, how did how did Daredevil become part of your orbit?
1: Uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, workloads need to be shuffled. You know, uh, it was it was it was being edited by Mark Panicia and I, he just has a lot of books right now, uh, and he's got a lot of books starting up, and he's got two. Uh, he edits two twice monthly X-Men books X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue That's among right. other yeah. tons of X-Men books and Hulk books and all sorts of things so um, so they, they just needed to clear something off his space and uh, I was more than happy to volunteer to do Daredevil because I I love Charles Soule who's writing it and I love the character
0: excellent well you know thank you so much for, uh, for taking a lot of time out of your day today to, to talk about um, you know your, your time editing at Marvel and again congratulations again on 10 years with the, uh, the magical family
1: my pleasure. My pleasure to be on your podcast, and my pleasure to work there for ten years.
0: Do you, uh, do they do they do a fifteen year, or do you got to wait till twenty? I think that they. I think they do give us. I think we might not get a plaque. We might get a statue for fifteen years, if I Ooh, remember correctly.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, so that's pretty, exciting.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, not too shabby at all. Well, again, thank you so much, and we'll hope to uh, have you back on maybe in the future to talk a little bit more about how uh, how Deadpool and Star Wars are, are faring in the in the comic book landscape
2: sounds terrific.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure.